Hey, I'm Daniel Coburn. And I'm John Rudolph Drexler. This is Talking Business League. Uh, we run a small development agency together. Every week, we have a one-hour call where we discuss the state of our business. This is that call. Bum, bum, dum, dum. John, (laughs) your signature. (laughs) John, how do you find yourself? I'm good. I'm peeling right now. Uh, I don't know if you'd call this a if it's a cutie. I don't know what is Mm -hmm. this. So Clementine. This is interesting. So that food that you have in front of you, I believe, for a long time did not exist in the United States, but it was very popular in Japan. Yeah, understandably, Um, it's like freaking candy, a mikan. It's just the greatest. And then people would come to Japan from America and have them and be like, these are amazing. They're like kind of like a Clementine, but they're not. Yeah. And then eventually a couple of years ago, maybe five, five, six years ago, it feels like they started popping off here and people were calling them cuties. Um, and people were calling them uh, uh, Satsumas, but they're not Satsumas. Um, but yeah, in Japan, it's just called a Mikan. Um, I have a, I had a really funny thing about these. So in the, well, I it's not really funny, actually. I'll let you decide. Um, so in my family, we always have a ton of these around the holidays Mm -hmm. and my mom does this thing where she keeps all the peels and throws them into a little saucepan. And then, uh, in the saucepan, um, puts like a little, like like a a couple sticks of cinnamon, a couple things Mm -hmm. of nutmeg. And just lets it simmer uh, mm-hmm. for just hours. And the whole house smells like orange peel, cinnamon, and nutmeg. And it's just mm-hmm. sort of this like extremely nostalgic trigger for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was explaining this to someone recently. And he was like, he's like, wait, is this just like fake mold wine? And I was like, I don't know. What is that? And like he was like started breaking down like how people make mold wine. And he was like is this like a family tradition where they like want to make the house smell like mold wine without actually making it? I was like, you know, my grandma, I think it started with my grandma and she's like this like great depression survivor, you know, who like was extremely judicious with money. And I'm like, I, that might be that she was basically taking like kitchen scraps to create this like, you know, uh festive christmas odor in the house using like food scraps basically cutting, like cutting the ends off the roast i was like that's they could be it's just, we're making fake mold wine yeah you gotta do it mm-hmm. that's very good i don't know how mold wine is made i might be remembering that wrong we might have to look up mold wine somebody might have to uh tell us about that but yeah it's funny yeah it's like cutting the ends off the roast that the old we reference that joke a lot for any of the listeners who aren't aware of the of the joke is the it's not even not that great of a joke, but the uh, the the son. <laughs> this episode has just been like prefacing prefacing yeah. things with like it's not actually that funny. Well, I'll let you decide. Well, we'll let you decide what it is. It's like the uh, son talking to his mother, like it's like the mother's like as soon as we finish this pot roast, you know, you you cut off or before putting the pot roast in the pan, you, you cut the ends off of it. Uh, and he says, "Why do we do that?" She says, "I don't know. Go ask my mother." You know. And he says, Grandma, why do we do this? She's like, uh, actually, I'm not sure. Go ask your great-grandmother. It's like, great-grandma, why do we cut the ends off the roast before putting it in the pan? She's like, uh, I just had too small of a pan when we were growing up. And so that's what I did. <laughs> like, there's no purpose behind it. But things get sort of passed down generation to generation. Um, and like imbibed with meaning. 
Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, it's something we do at the holidays. We cut the ends off the roast. <laughs> and, you know, I think it represents uh, yeah, something. Exactly. exactly. Um, uh-huh. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's Monday. We've had a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice. I'm an HVAC guy now. Yeah, you know, you know all the tips and tricks about HVACs. I know everything there is to know about HVAC. What, uh, um, anything useful for the listener? Yeah. So basically, you know, you got, you, I've got what's called a two-stage system. Mm. Um, so I've got an electric heat pump, um, which is the same box as my air, as my AC compressor. So it's like a big, you know, big cube sitting outside. And uh, that's good at like lower temperature or sorry, like more like reasonable temperatures. So if it's like 50 and you want it to be 60, that's a good that's a good uh, tool for that job. Yeah, it's absolutely. not good at like it's 20 outside and we want it to be 60. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so we have a backup system that is a gas furnace that kicks on for extreme scenarios. Um, or like if you just need to like if you need to make a severe delta, it'll do most of the work and then it'll let the heat pump take over, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, the heat pump is now working fine. The gas furnace is not working fine. Here's how a gas furnace works. Mm -hmm. Um, it turns on and then, uh, the blower motor goes for 90 seconds. And then the, uh, there's like a thing called a hot surface igniter, which is just a glowing red rod that like makes heat. Right. So the, the heat, the hot surface igniter glows and then the gas valve opens and it releases a bunch of gas and the hot surface igniter ignites the gas and then you've got flame, right? Uh, Several things can stop that process. One of them is a bunch of safety switches that are all bad in my machine. Um, So there's some, there's something called a flame rollout switch that detects if there's fire where there's not supposed to be fire. Those are bad. If you bypass them, it works. If you don't Mm. bypass them, it doesn't work. Um, there's a temperature sensor that senses if everything's too hot. That's bad. If you bypass it, it works. It doesn't, if you don't bypass it, it doesn't work. But even bypassing all of those things, it doesn't work. And it's like, well, what's not working? It's the gas. It's not getting gas. It's because there is a solenoid in the gas valve that doesn't work. It's supposed to get 24 volts and it's only getting one volt. Uh, but a rim riding grip configuration mm -hmm. using a field of half seized sprats and brass brass fitted nickel slits and splay flexed brace columns that with dampening hatch depths of one and a half feet from the crown to the spur of the fleets. How? Well, we bolster 12 husked nuts to each girdle, Jerry, while flexed tandems... <laughs> I tried to keep up. I tried to keep up with that. That's all I heard the whole time. That quoting from the great Patriot, one of the greatest. One of the greatest shows. I tried to look up that. I was trying to look up the monologue while you uh, while you did that, so I could I could jump in. But then I just had to find the video and try to transcribe it in real time. (laughs) Anyway, long story short, every part of my HVAC system has failed this year, and Mm. it's great, and I love it. And what I'm really hoping is that. You know, I'm about probably 1500 bucks into this problem at this point. Yeah. Um, there's a real good chance I end up $2,000 into it, you know? 
and then I, I'm looking at the price of a new furnace. Yeah, and I'm you're like, going to have to replace all your girdle jerrys. Well, it's like, I just really hope I don't replace every part of Theseus's ship and then buy yeah. a new ship. Yeah, right? that's that's <laughs> really the worst case scenario. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah. Sorry to hear anyway. that. That's very annoying. It is um, annoying, but you know, at least I'm an HVAC guy now. Yeah, you're the HVAC guy. Um, you you have good 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 information now. I've got um, a guy named Adam who's my HVAC guy, who lets me like like I'll be out there in the cold messing with it and like just sending him videos of what's going on, and he's sending me like pictures of the manual for things and being like, you have to move this to the, you know. Ugh. So we're like pair programming on my HVAC system. <laughs> This is all really good content. Um, the <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I, um, do you have any feedback for me? Uh, do I have any feedback for you? I uh, I like the hoodie. Um, <laughs> I uh, yeah. So it sounds like we have a little bit of a communication problem on sovereigns. What um, we have here is a failure to communicate. Yeah. So I think we'll probably just save that for a topic of like. No, what I can happened. do it now. I mean, I can okay. say I can give feedback to myself here. Okay, That's give helpful. feedback to yourself. Uh, so the, here are the here are the facts, the bullet points before we get into the feedback. Uh, this is a, get this right. So show me all the blueprints. <laughs> uh, this is a client who asks us to build a new site for them. There's not that much functionality to it, but it needs to look really good because it's basically a landing page for their thing public facing landing page that needs to be handsome. Uh, we, I would describe them as a client who does not know how to articulate like exactly what they want from a design perspective, because none of them are designers. None of them are programmers. None of mm-hmm. them have like built a website before. Um, mm-hmm. They just know like subjectively they want to, they want it to look sharp and for people yep. to like it, you know? Yep. And so I think that, so what has happened is that like the design process was longer and more stupid than it needed to be Mm -hmm. Um, because we went back and forth with them a lot where like I didn't, the first thing that I didn't do well was that I, I didn't do the classic, like present them with three options and force them to make a choice. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of presented them with more open-ended questions, mm-hmm. which they were not very good at answering because they're mm-hmm. not designers. Um, and then I was kind of like, Hey, give me a bunch of references of stuff you like. What do you think of these different colors? And it led into the situation where they were like, I was like, do you guys have a brand guide? You know, the most mm-hmm. people have that, like tell us fonts and colors. They're like, actually, we don't have anything like that. And we would like to, mm-hmm. um, so then we were like, well, if you give us some more money, we can have someone make that for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so we made it for them. Um, and then it turned out that like they didn't really like what they got there, but they didn't know how to articulate what, why, like what they didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I struggled to manage that in some ways because I was like, you know here how how about like three more options you know because mm-hmm. i was sort mm-hmm. of like i don't know um i'm also not a designer um mm-hmm. but like we do need to like put the pencils down on this and start building um mm-hmm. so i had like some some good conversations with them 
we gave them like more sets of options. We were like, we suggest you get an accent color. It should be one of these three, you know, here's what we think fonts should work. And we made it all for them. We got to this point that it was like, uh, things felt like, okay, we're at yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Everyone likes it. That took longer than it should have, but like we got there Mm -hmm. and then we built. Mm -hmm. And then after we built, they were like, well, actually, now that we're like looking at it on the actual site, we actually don't like it that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's completely normal. Like we're able to, you know, it's it's completely reasonable for us, for you to get kind of like one big wave of feedback here where mm-hmm. you can like ask for a bunch of changes after the V1. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, we can't do two or three of these really. Mm-hmm. We can't afford to do two or three of these. We're going to start mm-hmm. losing money. Um, and so we did that and we're in the middle of that right now. And I think it's fine. Um, like the things that they needed to change were not things like we wish it worked differently. Cause like mm-hmm. I'm good at like, how should this work questions? Mm-hmm. And we got it to work exactly how they want it to work. That was easy enough. Um, it's like really subjective designy things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to a solution quickly on them where they're like, you know what? We want to use the colors that were on our old website and we don't want to change the logo at all. It's like, okay, it's fine. <laughs> we can do that. Okay. Uh, and we're able to make the changes. Like they weren't huge breaking changes. It's not going to lead to a bunch of wasted time or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one thing is like, on designy things, I do want to like really be serious about the, um, you know, present them with three options and try mm-hmm. to nudge them down a road. So um, I feel like ahead. there's a few things here that are like potential problems, right? So like one is that we like we're in a very waterfally design process where it was like design first, then build. And then they have design feedback after the design phase. And like that process isn't well structured for that to happen. Right. Yeah. Like the ideal for like a kind of waterfall process like that is that like we get all the answers before we go to build. Which we did. Right. So then the second problem is that it sounds like we didn't have the person who was actually telling us the answers to questions did not have ultimate authority yeah right and this is a problem i've run into a bunch of times and probably something that i should have communicated to you but like that like a lot of times like the the real muckety muck is too busy to be dealing with this project and so they're gonna pawn it off on someone else um and then they're gonna swoop in at the end and have a bunch of thoughts right And so, like, one of the things that's important there is that we make sure that the person we're talking to is authorized to make decisions. Yeah. Right? Um, there's, a, um, there's a super interesting book. It's incredibly dry. Um, and I don't – it's incredibly dry and incredibly long. Uh, so I recommend really just reading the Wikipedia article. But there's this great book called Strategic Selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it – is it's right there in the title. I don't need to go any further on what it's about. It's about strategic selling. Uh, but he goes into this long thing that's really interesting about like, who are the characters? Um, right. And there's the buyer. Um, there's the decision maker. There's like the endorser. There's these people, you know, who, who's, 
uh, buy-in you need, but who are not responsible for the money or the decisions. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting to like break that down when you think about this kind of thing. But I think you're completely right that in this case, um, the buyer or the payer and also like the person who the ultimate decision gets final decision on things. Um, he delegated to somebody, mm-hmm. uh, and that person like kind of waffled on some things and also was like, uh, at some point he kind of stepped in and was like, actually, I'm going to kind of manage this myself. Uh, and so that, I think that was a, that is a great point. And I think that's right. And I, I think there's also like, this is more just like our, like, pricing model but like there are some of the downsides of not working hourly are apparent in this project some of the upsides are apparent also right Mm -hmm. because like our profit was originally pretty hefty on this like we were going to make good money on this Mm -hmm. um then there's the downside which is like it still is probably sure yeah but what i mean is like the the downside is obvious too which is that we have to now tell them you can't do this or like you have to sign a new contract (laughs) right yeah which is like in a more like agile hourly system like isn't a problem we can just say like yeah sure we're just going to keep working and keep billing you and keep working and keep billing you you know yeah um we're not like redefining the legal nature of our relationship in order to change some fonts or whatever and i think they're they're pretty cool about it like they i think they called initially so i got like a late night call from mm-hmm. from Luke last week and he was like hey like i'm looking at this and like i have thoughts mm-hmm. and also they have like the people i delegated to have thoughts and i was like that's totally fine like we can yeah. do a v2 that's that's expected um but like he was kind of like uh sorry to like make you go do extra work and i was like it's fine like none of this stuff is huge but like mm-hmm it's very important to me that you get what you want out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I just don't want to like do V2 and then have you realize that you want a bunch of different things after that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, how do I get in some ways, this is like a kind of a universal problem with everything. I ran into this all the time at Benti is like with our uh, CEOs, like uh, I'm like, how do I make it so that, I know what you want before we start building (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that it's not like we go build something and then you go like, Oh, now I know what I want, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a really common problem. I mean, I think the agile people would say it's impossible. Mm -hmm. You can never get anyone to know what you want before you start building. And that's why you build like the smallest, most MVP version of everything. Sure. So that you can iterate. Right. Um, That's a hard you have to do extra work to sell that, mm-hmm. right? Like it's harder to sell than like, give me all this money and I'll give you quote unquote, like the website you want. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, as a buyer, that's like what I want. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to get trade dollars for, for happiness. Right. Sure. Um, but like, I think as a purveyor of, of code, like it's there is like an extra i don't know there are people who successfully do it um and i've done it successfully before i've like taken a flat fee and built a thing and 
made money and got they got what they wanted it it felt good but it does feel more prone to these sorts of problems you know so i don't know that's just like a larger scale thing of like like i think it'd be interesting to think about not necessarily now but like what could this like what are other ways we could have structured this project where we wouldn't have run into these problems you know i don't know because i mean the other thing is that like uh it's all being built by um someone who we love and who is really good Mm -hmm. at this and he was like i was like hey want to go build like a lot of this other Mm -hmm. parts of this before the like Mm -hmm. design is done and he was like it's gonna be so fast i don't need to do that mm -hmm. it's like we tried to break out of the waterfall a little bit and he's like what do you want me to do like scaffold up a laravel project and do like yeah the no, small well, amount of back end before we get like what do you you know yeah well and that's the pricing model extends to him too right he was also taking a flat fee right right so like if he was hourly if everyone was hourly all the way down the chain it would make more sense to say like hey do you want to put in an hour doing this real quick just to like yeah. shape up this thing but yeah i agree like the way this project was it just wasn't possible mm-hmm. to do that but like Part of me wants to like, I don't know. This is all part of the broader like pricing thing that is like the, it seems like the main boogeyman of running this business is like, how do you, how do you price and structure projects so that you're protected and they get what they want, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. all. Um, so I'm I don't, not, it if, wasn't, it wasn't a big, bad thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's a big, bad thing either. But it's also, it was just an interesting moment for me too, that. I am like, I, I am not a designer mm-hmm. um, and or a visual designer or a web designer. Um, and it's interesting because this project, like with everything else we do or every product I've ever worked on, mm-hmm. like the fundamental thing is like, does it work? Mm-hmm. And so like, I think of requirements in terms of like functionality, functionality, user experience. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing was all of that stuff was like, no problem home run no problem like i do that in my sleep it's great um but the requirements for something like make us a sexy landing page Mm -hmm. are mostly not functional um it's it's really a design project well this this really isn't our core competency right like and this probably isn't the type of work we should take right Mm -hmm. like this is something we took because we needed work when we took it yeah Um, this is like okay like this will be pretty low effort and we could use the cash. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad, like, I think we took it and it was good to take it staved off fear in the sure. moment. Um, but like, I think long-term, like we're probably not a good fit for these people, for, like for yeah, these right. types of projects, you know, like yeah. they, they should go they work want with 15, four, they want 15, four, they should go work with 15, four for these types of yeah. things. We should probably have referred them to fifteen four. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, and we we, wanted... we would have if we weren't scared yeah. in the moment. You know, um, what's interesting is that. So what I'm going to turn this into, I don't think there's anything like we we can talk pretty openly about this. The client mm-hmm. is a venture capital fund. Actually, it's a lot more than a venture capital fund. They they're a fund of all sorts of different kinds, um, and they that's the whole structure of, of the website. Yeah, which is yeah exactly. Um, they, when I, I worked with them when they were a venture capital fund and now they're like, 
they have like an ETF and uh, a real estate fund and a private equity fund. They're doing all this different stuff. And um, it's interesting because uh, Luke, who runs it, was like, you know, he's like, I'm excited about this. Like afterwards, I can kind of send this around to other people I work with to say like, hey, look what Thunk can do for you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, let me let me give you a 30 minute pitch before you do that. Mm-hmm. Because actually the real pitch I want to make for you is it's not that don't send this around to people who need landing pages. What I, what, what, who you need to be sending this to is the startups you've invested in. And also I know that, you know, a bunch of newish entrepreneurs who have an idea and some mm-hmm. cash and are basically like, Hey, I'm looking to prove out this idea mm-hmm. and I need to build something to like, prove that it's a good idea and I don't have enough cash or runway to like hire good full-time engineers. I'm like, yeah, we are the perfect solution. For yeah. That. Like rapid prototyping is our core competency. Like yeah. the, the thing we're better at than anything else is like getting you from like nothing to something that m- like mostly does what you would want and like yeah. is like the MVP and gets rid of, you know, all the frills and just kind of gets it done. Yeah like extremely fast yep. right like and you know if you look at like the bwf project like that's exactly what we're doing there and we're like annihilating on that project you know yeah like, we're like way over delivering value um and it's great and mm-hmm. i just i it's the hypothesis but i really do think it's a good hypothesis which is like there are there are people out there who have some money mm-hmm. they might not have like four million bucks mm-hmm. but they have like some amount of money be a lot cooler if you did <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh and a project and like they could really use like some like people who can build good stuff fast who also can think like product managers and like mm-hmm. that's we could just crush projects like that. Yeah. And I, I do think that like a big part of like a big part of the joy of getting to having three months of salaries in the bank uh, is that we will be able to not be in fear mm-hmm. and need to take like projects that don't fit well with what we want to deliver, you know? Yeah. And like, I think that this project probably isn't, I mean, it is for friends, right? So like the likelihood of us taking it is higher than whatever, right? Sure. But also like, if it weren't for that, like this is a project we shouldn't take in the future, right? Sure. And that like in the future, we should be focused on like what we're world-class at, right? And like what we're world-class at is not like making marketing websites, (laughs) you know? For sure. Um. Yeah, so that's it. That's my feedback to myself this week. Um, do you have any, any feedback for me? Do I have any feedback for you? Um, do I have any feedback for you? Um, no, I mean I've asked. I've asked for you for a couple like little to dos that felt like I had to like oh, yeah, you a I little have, bit. Like, I haven't gotten you uh, categorization on the receipts for Australia yet. Yeah, like or, like, or, like the like hosting the site, uh, like just feel like not a not a big thing feeling like mm-hmm. i just need to like 
hound you a little bit, mm-hmm. um, which is, I don't feel like that on everything, just like stuff every now and then, but mm-hmm. overall, like, no, I feel it's great. Like, I feel like, um, you're continuing to invest a lot in teaching me a lot of important stuff on the programming side and, uh, very happy with how like the projects you're managing are going. So it seems mm-hmm. like they're going very well and the clients are very happy with us and they're paying us good amounts of money. And I'm like, Hey, that is, we like that. Uh, mostly a credit to Daniel. Um, so I'm very, yeah, I'm thrilled having a great cool. time. Nice. Um, yeah. How, uh, I, do you have other other things you wanted to? I did want to talk a little bit about uh, Advent of Code, but you want to talk about Advent of Code just I a had, little bit. I had uh, yeah the other things that I had written down that could be interesting to talk about were uh, DHH talking about one time licensing fees, um, oh, yeah. uh-huh. which is interesting to me, uh-huh. um, which relates to the conversation of like should Thunk build a product? Yes. Um, and then that's that could that could fill up twenty seven minutes, uh-huh. um, and the other one was oh yeah like our debate about like keeping up with new things uh, which is yeah. oh yeah yeah this is what we were talking about so yeah we <laughs> to, for the user and the listener we had we talked for like an hour first thing in the morning today and we just kind of like meandered like we were just on tuple while I was playing a game and John was doing something i forget what you were doing i was working it's called it's called work (laughs) yeah well i was up before my normal start time so i was just messing around um anyway one of the things that came up was this so do you want to set the table on that yeah i also just remembered the other topic that we forgot about which is trying hard oh trying hard Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um well, we were talking about, I mean, gosh, I don't want to rehash the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It start, We started talking about it because I was talking about Nassim Nicholas Taleb and the book Anti-Fragile, which I really mm-hmm. like. Um, and he has this very interesting point uh, in the book talking about how the best predictor of whether a thing will be around like 10 years from now is whether it was around 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, which I think is like true and mm-hmm. a lot like is observably true. So he like is kind of joking about like uh you know reading reading plato and eating the mediterranean diet and like sipping wine and sitting in a chair is like a bunch of like technologies and ideas that have been around for thousands of years and so they're very likely to like still be relevant thousands of years from now um and Mm -hmm. he was making this point of like which type of you know information is more and is more useful for you to consume like to go to like a cutting edge scientific conference uh, or to, what was that? There's just a truck backing up outside. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's like, what, you know, what, what's more useful to go to like read a bunch of like new white papers of like stuff that hasn't even been validated by other scientists yet, or to like go read Plato. Sure. Um, and it's like in, in almost every situation, the answer is Plato, uh, which is an interesting idea. So we were talking about this. And the thing that it made me think about is that you have, uh, you're very interested in like the newest things. I don't um, think that's true, but I. Oh, you, you okay? That's that's interesting. That's a misconception. I'm a PHP on, developer, so. You're sure, that's true. 
Um, but like when we go work on stuff, I do have, so I have this, I feel this tension right now, which is that mm -hmm. I think a part of being a good programmer is to, uh, that is to constantly like maintain the thirst and excitement about learning tools. Mm -hmm. Um, because you have to, my impression is you have to kind of keep doing that forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's all well and good. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's this part of me uh, that is like, so like Livewire 3 comes out mm -hmm. and we all go try to update to Livewire 3 and all of our code bases as fast as possible and start using all the new features as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and it turns out that some of the brand new features are a little bit finicky. Mm -hmm. And I get like super annoyed by that because mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I just want everything to work. Mm -hmm. Like I want to only use things that work super, mm -hmm. super well and have been like, you know, um, so I think that's like a, that's a tension that I feel right now is like the, the release that just came out of anything mm -hmm. is going to be like a work in progress. Yeah. So I think, and, and I, I know that I'm supposed to like go learn it, but I'm like, yeah, but I like, I could do this in a different way with stuff that like is less finicky than the brand new thing. Yeah. So I think about it this way. I think there's engineering and there's implementation, right? Um, and implementation is like, I'm taking some engineering that someone else did and I'm like making it, I'm applying it to a business problem, right? Um, and then engineering is like, I'm like solving a problem in a, in a, in a, in a new, in a novel way, right? Yeah. Um, you might call it like pure programming or something, right? Like I'm getting down and like doing real programming. Yeah. yeah. Um, and working with something brand new, uh, working with a brand new framework, I guess, right. Requires that you be willing to do some engineering. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not willing to do that for lots of people, but I'm willing to do that for Caleb. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. So like, if it was some rando who I didn't feel like I had access to, I didn't have Josh, I didn't have Caleb, I didn't yeah. have like the ability to fix the things that were broken. Mm -hmm. um, then I would be like, I'm going to wait until this is done yeah. before I implement it. Um, also, if it was someone who I didn't have confidence that they were committed right. to fixing the things issue. that were broken, yeah. Yeah. then I wouldn't do it. But in this case, it's like, well, I'm an engineer, so like we can fix the problems. Um, and we have submitted many PRs to fix Livewire things. Yeah. Um, and uh, in addition to that, it's like the, uh, to me, it's like there's a distinct market advantage to being someone who's capable of solving those sorts of problems. And you're not dependent on everything working mm -hmm. before you can implement right like and so i think like to me there's like a distinct advantage to like being able to like be cutting edge with things like that because people other people are going to try and implement livewire 3 right mm -hmm. and they're going to run into problems right whatever they are whether it's just like they planned badly, whether it's like the architecture that they had for Livewire 2 didn't upgrade nicely to Livewire 3, and so now they need to re-architect some components, whatever. We need to experience that pain before they do mm -hmm. so that when they experience that pain and need expertise on it, they can come to us. And we yeah. are like, 
And so in order to develop expertise in something that's new, you have to just go like subject yourself to it as early as possible, you know? So that's why I think I like value that a lot. Mm -hmm. As far as the, um, I think the thing you were saying is like, uh, you have a sense that like as a developer, like you have to like go constantly be learning new tools. I don't think that's actually true. Interesting. Um, I do think that you I feel like I've heard people say that. Yeah. For sure. Um, and I mean, like, it's <laughs> it will happen. You will learn new tools, right? Yeah. But, like, I think the thing that's absolutely necessary is that you don't stop learning new concepts. Okay. Right? So, like, whether or not you, like, learn new actual new tools, like, there's concept like, there's concepts that you have to, like you have to be like growing and learning new concepts and trying to apply them and whatever. And you can apply them using the tools you already know, Mm -hmm. right? But it's that like learning and growth and that will show you, that will lead you to, oh, the tool I have is not good for this concept. Mm. And like, here's why the people who are using this concept in some other ecosystem are more successful with it than I am right now. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. their tool is better suited to this concept than mine is, right? Yeah. And so that will kind of lead you to, should I learn a new tool or not? Yeah. It's like, well, am I unable to do a certain thing with the tool that I have, you know? Or yeah. would it be a lot easier if I had a different tool, you know? Yeah. But I, yeah. I think that like just learning tools for the sake of learning tools is a fool's errand because there's more tools than you can possibly learn. And you, yeah. you need some rubric to know which ones to learn. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and your new tool, your new tool is Rust, which leads us to Rust Advent is, of Code. Yeah, so I'm using Rust to do Advent of Code. I really like Rust. I'm very impressed by Rust. I think that there's a pretty good chance that people are paying us to write Rust in five years, hmm. right? Um, I think now pretty much Rust is getting written by internal teams. Like, I don't think there's a lot of like, asking contractors to write rust right now um and it's mostly getting written on like low level projects Mm -hmm. um i don't think there's a lot of like web applications being written in rust right now um i think that both of those things are going to change in the near future um i think we're all probably going to write as much rust like as much i think there's a good chance that we're writing as much rust as we are currently writing javascript in you know five ten years wow um but you know i'm a little bit like rust pilled about the whole thing so Mm. i'm there are definitely people who would disagree uh but yeah i don't know i just think it's a really fun and good language but more than that what i was going to say about advent of code is that like i think y'all should be doing advent of code yeah just to get exposure to like different types of programming problems right Mm -hmm. like that are not the sorts of things that we run into on a day-to-day basis right like yeah it's just like and it's like the cool thing about advent of code and this is what i was saying before is like it doesn't matter what tool you use everyone's using different tools right i'm using rust um mitch the elixir tools guy on twitter um he's using rust also even though he's not he's an elixir guy I would love to do it in Elixir sometime. Maybe next year I'll do it in Elixir. Um, I've thought about doing it in some functional language like that before. Um, yeah, I think I'm, doing it. I think Imogen's even, doing it in OCaml. Like everyone's doing it in random things. 
I think me doing it, I think it still makes sense where I am right now to do it in PHP. I agree. Yeah. I think like I do. It's, 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 I'm at an interesting moment where I am right now where like I can build things independent. I can build like Laravel apps on my own, Mm -hmm. but like I don't like PHP is like this, like, uh, like real PHP stuff is like, Mm -hmm. um, a little bit blurry to me still. Mm -hmm. And, Recently, I've actually started, this is, it's a funny kind of like side consequence of this, but on <laughs> on my verbs states, I'm storing lots of arrays mm-hmm. and I've like started being like, do I want to constantly like pull these out and like turn them into collections and then like do collection methods or like, are there a lot of situations where I'd like, it's actually a little bit easier to just use like array map or array just filter like, yeah. And, yeah yeah so i've been like i've been like playing around with like a lot of php solutions to these things and i'm like mm-hmm. huh this is pretty good like, yeah it, no it and that's like interesting you, you you like learned php through laravel right so there was yeah. not like there was not a world where you ever didn't have collections right, right right uh whereas like for for a lot of us like collections were like an improvement on of course dealing yeah. with php arrays. And it seems like there are certainly a lot of situations like if i oh, need yeah, to like it's definitely better but like yeah there's lots of situations where i'll just write an array filter because right. it's like i don't feel like dealing with this because well, it's like it's like if i need to do like three things if i need to like uh make a collection like filter it down map it to something you know whatever uh that feels like collections are so clean but if it's like if i need to do like one thing uh, yeah. and it's already an array it's like oh this is just do the one thing yeah, yeah. exactly um, yeah it's great um so I, I it would be good for me to go like understand just like string manipulation and playing around with arrays yeah there's way. lots of that like that's basically like it's funny how much code i had to write for my day one solution in rust mm. because like i could have done it so easily in php i'm mm. just like don't know the affordances in Rust. So like, yeah. I'm sure I'm doing it like the least sexy way possible. Yeah. yeah. But that's kind of the fun part is like, oh, well, I don't like my day one solution, but maybe by the day that, maybe by day 18, I'll actually like do a solution where I'm like, this is hot. I like yeah, this, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, totally. So that's, that stuff's fun. That's fun. Um, yeah, I'll do it. Cool. I'm committing to it here, here and now. Um, I will give it, I will give it my best effort. Mm-hmm. Um, best effort I like that I will do advent of code we talked about I don't know live wire and new things do we have anything else to say on that I guess well, I don't really have that much more to say about it no I just uh, yeah I, I think that um, new concepts new to you concepts yeah is uh, worth it for its own sake yeah new tools I don't think are worth it for its own sake right yeah. New tools, like you, have to, you have to like earn a reason to learn them. Yeah. 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 But Makes like, sense. I think that new, like, I think you should always be in search of new concepts, you yeah. know? Um, and like, sometimes that will lead you to new tools. Like, I think verbs is like, verbs is interesting because it's like, we came across a concept, which was event sourcing. Then there was a tool. So we learned the tool. They were like, I don't like the tool. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to try a different tool, but there isn't yeah. one. Yeah. So I guess we have to make one, you yeah. know, which is interesting. Well, I remember this moment. There was like a, uh, <laughs> there was a moment for me that was like a uh, very make or break, like a wall that I hit hard where 
you know, in the first, you, you probably don't even remember this because it was so long ago for you, but like in those first six months of programming, it's mm-hmm. just like, it's a new concept every day. Yeah. Like the concepts just don't stop coming, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the concepts and, start coming and they don't stop coming. That's right. <laughs> uh, then you hit the ground running. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I, we, I was like deep into that and was feeling fatigued where mm-hmm. I was just like, when do I just get to go like build a feature without learning a concept, you know? Mm-hmm. And I started to feel like I was like getting my head above water for a minute. Mm-hmm. And that was right when you decided you were like looking at the pecking order code and you were like, this whole thing should be event sourced. Yeah. And like our state machine is a, an event aggregate. Mm-hmm. And you were like, okay, I have one more concept for you. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> I was so frustrated. <laughs> and also like, it was a concept that like, we had, it's to a heady concept. Yeah. we had to go learn it from the Spotsy docs. And also uh-huh. like you needed to brush up on it too. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was like, I thought I was like drowning. We did like a four hour call where we yeah, were yeah, like, I remember. let's go really understand the Spotsy documents to uh-huh. understand how this package works. And I was like, when will I stop learning concepts? And you're like, never, never hopefully. Yeah. Like, and I was like, but now the good news is like, it slows down. Yeah. It slows um, down. And like, yeah, concepts you learn, you start to repeat usage of them a lot. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like your applications for new concepts are like less and less over time. Yeah. Like, you know, when you talk about like, you know, like these big, uh, fang companies or whatever, you know how they're always like recruiting by saying like, Oh, we're, sor- we're, we're solving hard problems. Like we're yeah. doing like, innovative solutions to innovative problems or whatever. The reason that that is attractive to engineers is that like at some point, like if you stop learning and like, you're just implementing, like if you're an engineer in your whole career, you've been like engineering. Right. And like having to like, be creative to solve the problem and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, there's nothing new to learn for me to be able to do my job. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden it feels very bad. Yeah. And like that has always been my like guiding light of when to quit a job is basically like, Oh, have I like stopped learning new things? And like, is it, do I no longer need to learn in order to like do the job? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Because and like there are some people who would rather just like achieve mastery of the skill set required to do their job, and then their job becomes pretty easy, and then you know they can sit back and do whatever else, right? And for me, like I'm just kind of obsessed with like becoming as good at programming as I can become, you know, and so like. And it's really interesting to me, right? So I, yeah. I would get bored if I just had to implement all the time. I'm just, yeah, it's an interesting point. I totally understand what you're saying. Um, I think the thing that I'm like curious about or like the thing I'm having a hard time reconciling it with is like, there's also this feeling, like if I were to compare it to like, it's like where I am with like games right now. Mm-hmm. That like right now I spent years trying to like become a competent game designer. Uh-huh. Um and there's a whole bunch of game design problems that I I haven't solved and don't know how to solve yet, right? Mm-hmm. Um I also like 
during that time figured out how to uh, build little Laravel apps. And so like mm-hmm. now I'm like, I can make little games. And part of me wants to like take a breath on learning and be mm-hmm. like, I just want to like deliver for a couple years, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. where I'm like, I just like, I have learned enough to where I can start like really just like making, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have that, like, I think I, I like the learning part of it, but it's like to get me to these little plateaus where I can just like build again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? well, and that, I do feel like every couple years there's a project, which is like, this project is like the culmination of the last few years of learning. Your senior thesis. <laughs> yeah. You, you write a senior thesis every year or two, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I get what you're saying. The, um, and like, if you, if, when we talk, like, I feel like I mention the same projects a lot mm. where it's like, and those are projects that felt like culminations of things to me mm. where I felt like we built like the perfect implementation of a concept, yeah. you know? Because like that concept had been so well developed, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's and, right. Like I think that like we're probably going to be referencing BW Fusion for a while because like we did a lot of things really well on it. Yeah, and so it's like a good project to like look back on and like mention things, you know. And there, but yeah, it's the thing be interesting I was thinking, when we have a yeah, I'm very curious what's going to be the project where we uh, we have the perfect um, live wire plus verbs implementation. I'm so excited for that, dude! I'm so excited. I think we're gonna. I think it's like a. I think it's a few projects away. Yeah, I do too. I think it's probably like eight months from now, probably. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's gonna be real fun. Um. But yeah, I was thinking about like game design. Like, so there's like these game design tropes. Like, if you think about like. Like in card games, right? Mm-hmm. There's like all these card games where you like take tricks. Yeah. You know, yeah. like whatever, like spades or hearts or whatever. So many yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, euchre. I just got a new one. I have, a, I have a really, really cool one that is called Cat in the Box. Okay. Uh, and the the twist on it is uh, none of your cards have suits. Mm-hmm. And you have a little board that has like a grid of like each different suit and each different number. Mm-hmm. And so when you play, you'll be like, play a four and you're like, this is a yellow four. And then you mark yellow four on the board. It's like, no more yellow fours can exist this round. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, really, yeah. really interesting. And if you, if you are unable to play a legitimate card, it creates a paradox and you like mm-hmm. automatically lose. Um, it's very, very interesting. That's fun. Yeah. Highly recommend. Box. I get it. Schrodinger. Yeah, exactly. Um, I like it. Sorry, I so, cut you off there. Well, no, I was I was going to say like yeah. I was going to say like you know maybe like you become really good <laughs> at designing card games about taking tricks. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that I feel like that would be like becoming really good at like building like uh, data table apps in Laravel, right? You know, and then it's like okay, well, like. You could just say like, and like, eventually you're like, I'm going to build like the best card yeah. trick taking app of all or game of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's like, okay, well, do I want to spend the rest of my career making, <laughs> right. making like variations of spades? Yeah. Or like, well, the, the counter argument to it is, so, is that like, it's impossible for me to talk about game design without talking about Dark Souls. But uh, like the counter argument to it is that uh Hidetaki, Hidetaki Miyazaki has been making the same game variations for on a theme years. for yeah. 20 years and now he's like 
you know, getting these like lifetime achievement awards, game of the year, all this mm-hmm. stuff. It's just like, like, oh my gosh, you actually like cracked the code. And it's yep. like, that's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. It's like, he's making some of the most important games of our lifetime. Uh, sure. Yeah. And I do think that like, in order to, uh, I think in order to like make a category defining thing, like in order to make something that's like so good that it like outshines everything else in its category. Yeah. You probably do need to be extremely dedicated to that category. Yeah. You know, and become like hyper specific in your growth. Yeah. Um, I, that's just not my personality, right. you know, like my personality <laughs> is like, I want to become like gen- very generally capable yeah. Um, with like, certain areas where I have extreme expertise, you yeah. know, and like, I'm cool with my expertise being an intersection of things also. Mm-hmm. Like, I think like event source live wire apps is a very fun, narrow slice to be great at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I think also, I mean, even to be fair in that example, um, they were learning loads of new technologies throughout that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They've developed for tons of different platforms and are using all new engines and whatever else. So like, mm-hmm. um, and the games evolved quite a bit. So even in that example, they were, they were actually encountering tons of new problems. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the other interesting thing about it is like, I've wondered that for myself that now that I've like designed a handful of things, I've started designing this new thing, which I think you and I are going to pair on for a minute later. Cause I have mm-hmm. live wire questions about it, but um, I can really see the like spiritual connection to the other things that I've made. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, I guess some of this is just like developing a voice. It's just like, I, I have, I have a, a design perspective mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that runs pretty strong through all. Yeah. And games. also part of it, I think is just like when you have, like when you have solved problems before mm-hmm. and they aren't the main problem you're trying to solve, totally. you're, you're you going to recycle yes. an old solution to that yes. problem. Absolutely. Which is going to mean that like you only innovate on the most important or on the most Absolutely. like thematic piece. Right. Yes. And I think that that is like, that's just good judgment. It's good. It's good judgment, obviously. And it's good programming. It's good yeah. everything. Yeah. And, and that's what like, it's also, again, to come back to dark souls is like, you know, it's, it was the most important game of a generation. Everyone loses their mind over it appropriately, but it's weird when you describe it to people who you're like, they're like, well, what's special about it? And you're like, well, you're a guy with a sword walking through levels, fighting bosses. And then you, and then there's, and then there's bosses uh, and the bosses have health bars and you have some items (laughs) and they're like, what <laughs> like there's all it's riddled with conventions the whole yeah. thing is conventions yeah. you know but like used in this like masterful skillful mm-hmm. way yeah well and like this is like i was talking to matt uh last week about titan and thunk and all this stuff and i was like yeah like i'm mostly like imitating you yeah but like putting you know putting myself into it where i on things i think matter yeah right and so like that's the thing is like well i've worked at like three agencies now and like you know i've like learned from some very good ceos and stuff and it's like there's absolutely no reason for me to innovate on lots of things because like i've just seen them implemented perfectly already 
there's no problem, you know, there's no problem to solve. There's no yeah. reason to be creative here. Totally. And then there are the few things where it's like, well, I want to differ from them in these ways. Yeah. Yeah. And like those are places there where it's worth like putting a lot of thought into things. Yeah. You know? I love I heard him say once on Laracasts, it's the thing that stuck with me a lot. It was like when I first started learning, I listened back through all the old Laracast episodes. Laravel podcast? Sorry, what sorry, not Laracast, sorry, the Laravel podcast. Yeah. Um and Matt was talking about at Titan, he's like, uh, he's like be creative, but like harness your creativity, not into code style, mm-hmm. but harness your creativity into solving problems. <laughs> and yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. that is a really interesting and good distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I do not want you to be creative with your code style. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's like, follow our conventions and everyone will be better off, but that will enable you to go be really smart about other things. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I agree. Wow! So and we this, did Dark Souls. I told some jokes. Uh, uh, we yeah, like I, game design stuff. I, we talked about Dark Souls. I, I I I owned up to mistakes made with clients. Uh, engineering versus implementation. And uh, I described Livewire three as finicky. I don't know if Caleb's going to come after me. Yeah, it's a good time. Good time. <laughs> I don't think it's finicky. I think it's amazing. I think Caleb's incredible. Mm-hmm. One of the I best just, boys. I just struggled with one thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. And well, yeah, and there there were some Phoenix, but we fixed them. So now yeah. there are no more Phoenix. We already fixed them. <laughs> Good. Uh, all right. Uh, Shall we uh, run the music? I guess so. <laughs> I guess we'll run the music. Oh, John, John, John. Oh, I like to bookend with like a yawning. Uh, John, yeah. John. That's your whole thing. Yeah, it's one of my things. Oh, Mr. Max. Was that big yawn exciting to you? You seem to be paying attention a lot now. Hey, buddy. The viewer. Look at Max. Look at the boy. Wow, very, very good boy. Look at this boy. What a great boy. Always with his uh, chin on someone's lap. Mm-hmm. That's our boy. Ah, good stuff, good stuff.